This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, August 2nd. I'm Doug Blair. And I'm Virginia Allen. Eve Nunez's life was turned upside down when she was raped at the age of 14. When she became pregnant, some people in her family encouraged her to have an abortion, concerned her pregnancy would bring shame on the family. Eve chose life and delivered a healthy baby boy when she was only 15. Today, Eve is not only an advocate for the unborn, but also volunteers her own time and resources to help women facing crisis pregnancies. She joins the show today to share her story and why she's so committed to standing for life. But before we get to Virginia's conversation with Eve Nunez, let's hit today's top news. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi began her trip to Asia on Monday with a visit to Singapore. Pelosi joined a congressional delegation and met with Singaporean President Halima Yaakob, as well as the country's prime minister and foreign minister. In addition to Singapore, Pelosi's public itinerary includes Malaysia, South Korea, and Japan. Notably absent from that list, however, is Taiwan. China has been increasingly aggressive in recent days as the speaker mulls making a postponed visit to Taiwan. On Friday, a commentator with Chinese state media, Hu Shijin, tweeted, If U.S. fighter jets escort Pelosi's plane into Taiwan, it is an invasion. The Chinese military has the right to forcibly dispel Pelosi's plane and the U.S. fighter jets, including firing warning shots and making tactical movement of obstruction. If ineffective, then shoot them down. CNBC reported that according to two sources familiar with Pelosi's itinerary, she will visit Taiwan. Did the Department of Homeland Security try to withhold information about the situation at the southern border from the agency's Office of Inspector General? Republicans on one House committee are trying to find that out. Republicans on the House Oversight Committee have sent a letter to DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas asking about an internal memo. Republicans say that a memo was circulated among DHS employees that told Customs and Border Protection employees how to impede investigations by the agency's own inspector general. If the reports are accurate, Republicans say in the letter, then DHS leadership is deliberately undermining the mission of the Office of Inspector General. Republican lawmakers are asking DHS to turn over copies of all memos that tell personnel how to interact with the Office of Inspector General. DHS has until August 12th to hand over the requested documents. To be continued. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is encouraging his state's agencies to ignore directives from the U.S. Department of Education. Last Thursday, the Florida Education Department sent out a memo urging state schools to ignore guidance on LGBT youth. The memo reads, nothing in these guidance documents requires you to give biological males who identify as female access to female bathrooms, locker rooms, or dorms, or to allow biological males who identify as female to compete on female sports teams. The governor's office expressed its support for the Florida Education Department in its position on these proposed rule changes and stands with Florida Education Commissioner Manny Diaz and refusing to allow the federal government and the Florida Commissioner of Agriculture to hold vulnerable students hostage to their political agenda. Today, Kansas voters are headed to the polls to vote on an abortion-related amendment to the state constitution. 
During the Kansas primary election today, voters will be given the opportunity to vote yes or no on what is officially called the Value Them Both Amendment. A vote yes means adding an amendment that specifically states that the Kansas Constitution does not include a right to abortion and does not require government funding of abortion. A yes vote also gives the Kansas legislature the go-ahead to pass laws regarding abortion. Voting no on the proposed amendment affirms a Kansas Supreme Court ruling in 2019 that found a right to abortion in the state constitution. Polling shows that this is going to be a tight vote. A coefficient poll reported by Kansas City's KMBC News found that 47 percent of Kansas voters plan to support the pro-life amendment, while 43 plan to vote no and another 10 percent remained undecided. Kansas is the first state to consider the issue of abortion on a ballot since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade on June 24th. The Daily Signal will be on the ground in Kansas City on Tuesday and Wednesday to report on voters' decision. You can follow along with our reporting at DailySignal.com. And that's all for headlines. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Eve Nunez as we discuss how an unplanned pregnancy changed her life forever. At the Heritage Foundation, we believe that every single policy issue discussed in D.C. tells a story. So we want to tell it well. On the Heritage Explains podcast, co-hosts Tim Descher and Michelle Cordero take one policy issue a week, mix in a creative blend of clips, narration, and hard-hitting interviews to equip you on crucial issues in under 20 minutes. So get your story straight. Subscribe to Heritage Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. It is my pleasure to welcome to the show today, Reverend Eve Nunez. She is the founder and president of Help for Kids and is the president of the National Latina Latino Commission, which is a nonprofit agency dedicated to mentoring youth. Reverend Eve is also the recipient of the National Service Award from former President George W. Bush and the Volunteer Service Award from former President Barack Obama. Reverend Eve Thank you for being here today. What a privilege to be here, Virginia. And thank you for the invite. Oh, my goodness. We are just so excited to have this conversation. When I heard just a little bit of your story, I was really blown away. Of course, we're at a moment in history where everyone is talking about the life issue and about abortion. And Roe v. Wade has just been overturned. This is an issue that began touching your life in a really personal way when you were just 15 years old. Right. Could you share just a little bit of your own story? I would love to, but first I have to say that the day that it was overturned, I had to go to the Supreme Court because for over 40 years, I was there crying, praying. My children, grandchildren would go and pray with me during all times of the year. And I just had to go back. And I remember that morning, like at 10 o'clock when I heard the news, it was like, I have to go thank Jesus. I didn't want to be one of those leopards. You know, he healed 10 and only two came back. So I wanted to be one of the first ones to go back and Mm -hmm. thank him. So I do want to say that first because I want to thank Jesus for that miracle. Yeah, yeah. And I... um, I had been an advocate for life my whole life. I I was raped at 14 when I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, I was not a Christian, but I had Jewish grandparents and parents who taught me the importance of life. My name is Eve, which means life giver. And when that happened to me, when I went through that trauma of being raped and 
going to high school, which was like in 1969. At 14 years old, mm-hmm. I had like my whole life, and I loved school, and everything was turned upside down. I um, decided when I found out I was pregnant that um, I was going to keep the baby. Uh, the young man that raped me that was about 10 years older than me only did six months in jail for statutory rape. And those were our laws back then. And I couldn't go back to high school. I loved high school. I was, you know, just wanted to finish high school. And, and I couldn't. It's like my whole world was turned upside down. But I was willing to give anything up. I was not going to give the baby up. I, I did have an aunt at the time that was not uh, Jewish that um, married my uncle that was and said, we need to take you to Mexico to abort this baby. And I said, I'm not going to abort this baby. I'm Mm -hmm. going to keep this baby. And she said, well, you'll bring shame to the family. Mm -hmm. And I said, I won't to my Jewish family. Mm -hmm. Wow. What year was this? 1969. Okay. So I said, I I won't. So um, my dad um, took me to California and um, took care of me and kind of hid me from the the one family member that uh, wanted me to have an abortion. And... um, it was tough. It was really hard, you know, to, to be 14 years old and pregnant and delivering a baby at 15. But I'm so glad that I fought because my son is the biggest blessing. But you just have to disappear. In the early 60s, late 60s, you just disappear. You just can't go to school. You can't be around you know, a lot of the friends you grew up with. Yeah. You know, you just have to kind of hide. What were the thoughts and feelings that, that were running through your mind as you're a teenager, you're watching your stomach get bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger, and, and your, your, body baby's, your body's changing? Well, um, I can always remember my grandma. I had a grandma that passed away at 106, and she always taught me the importance because Jewish people had gone through the Holocaust and died. And she taught me the importance of wanting to live and the importance of life. Had I had I not been taught that at the age of five, six, seven, and eight, I was 10 years old when my great-grandma passed away. And I would always remember, you just have to live. You just, you know, your, your name is important, but the importance of life as a young Jewish girl made me realize that God was trusting me, even though it was something horrible, a, a crime had been committed against me. Um, I was determined because of what my dad taught me, what my great-grandma taught me, my parents, the importance of life. And, and I was willing to suffer the consequences of not seeing my friends, um, not being able to go back to school. And I had to choose an alternative um, education. So my dad took me to a school, where I, a cooking school, where I had, uh, was able to go to cooking school and became a chef. Went through three years. But during this whole time, it was, you know, I had a child. And my dad helped me raise my child. My family did, but it, it was very hard, but, but I chose. So I tell this story, Virginia, um, to young ladies. I've been saying this for over 40 years, since maybe like 1978. My, I was, my son was born in 1970, but I remember going on the streets and sharing my story, saying, um, it's a blessing. You know, you, you can't kill and I wasn't even a Christian at the time that, you know, I got saved later. But I re- even remember advocating for life before I knew Jesus. But mm-hmm. once I knew Jesus, I had like that fire within me. <laughs> and I had and then I had the word of God that I that I could share um, 
the importance and you know, and, and one of my favorite ones is Psalms 8 that says, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength because of my, our enemies. Thou hast mightest still the enemy and the adventure, and the Lord has perfected praise in the mouth of babes and sucklings. That means in, in our womb, mm. in our stomach. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're being perfected by the Lord. And so when I began to hear the word and the importance of life and, you know, thou shalt not kill, you know, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and to destroy. And I mean, life, who's going to protect those innocent children, those babies? Had I not chosen that, I wouldn't have had one of the biggest blessings in my life, a son that loves me. And so I've been able to tell that story. In fact, um, I went on, I think, May 2nd outside the Supreme Court when there was maybe five of us pro-lifers against a mob, hundreds of protesters. And we just prayed. In fact, I, the crowds have gotten very dangerous at times. I literally have gone out there, you know, just with the armor of God and <laughs> to say, God, really protect me because mm-hmm. people can be very violent. And the uh, Capitol Police said the people that were here before you, about a dozen of them all got beat up. Mm. Are you sure you want to stay here? Mm. And I said, yes, because if we can even save one life. And I was able to talk to some of the young ladies who were talking about, this is my body. And I, and I just began to tell my story. But there's a baby in there. Yeah. How, how do those on the pro-abortion side respond when, when you share your story, when you say, I was raped at 14 and I chose life. to have that child. I chose life. Yeah. What do they say to that? They'll listen for a few minutes. And it's like they're con- first they're very angry and they'll listen. It's like I get their attention for a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. And, well, I can't do what you did. And, you know, um, this is my body, and I don't want to be pregnant. And um, But uh, it calms them down for a few minutes. They're very angry, and um, they'll cuss a lot, say a lot of words. And, in fact, one last told me um, when I was at their May the 2nd, what if I have an abortion? Will you still love me? I, I said, I will love you, but don't have an abortion. Give yeah. me your baby. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take care of you and take care of your baby. And one thing I tell them is one thing that I'm praying the faith-based community does more of is that we um, adopt more babies, yeah. that we not only tell young ladies, don't abort your babies, but care for them during their abortion. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you there's two girls out there named Eve that I brought into my home and took care of, wow. an 18-year-old and a 2-year-old that I was able to help. There was um, a young lady that was going on in Arizona on an abortion, um, took abortion clinic. And um, I drove around in my car while I was doing outreach until I changed her mind, buying her ice cream and everything. And she said, my dad's going to kill me. They were from American Samoa. If he finds out I'm pregnant. And I said, well, I will take care of you. And she says, well, will you take care of my family too? She just didn't tell me she had like 10 Samoans in her family. (laughs) So I brought them all and I took care of the whole family and uh, helped her to school. She had her baby and her baby's um, name Eve that lived. But it was one of those sacrifices. I just didn't have to take care of the mother and her baby, but like the whole family. And I took him in and I did it again. So there's two babies alive today. But I pray, Virginia, that more than two babies have been saved with over 40 years of advocacy, mm-hmm. that more have listened because I'm always out there. And not only during the pro-life marches, every time I get an opportunity, mm-hmm. I share the importance of life. Reverend Eve, I, I think that what you're saying um, is such a rallying cry for the whole pro-life movement right now because, you know, while you're going out and you're advocating for your life and, and speaking to individuals, um, you're then willing to bring people into your own home that need that support that you're putting action behind what you believe. 
that takes a lot of courage and a lot of boldness. It takes time. It takes money. It takes dedication. That's incredible. And a lot of patience. Yeah. You know, to bring families in and and mothers and, you know, and just. But you know what? It wasn't only me. It was my family. I think the Lord for my children that were, um, they're never selfish. They mm. were always thinking about others that have lived in my home. I've had many, many children live in my home and many, you know, um, single young mothers. Um, but I believe that had I not had the family God gave me, that they were never complained about having to give their bed up, having to give their room up, their share their you know their socks or clothes and stuff. But God really blessed me with a wonderful family. Wow. And I thank the Lord for my youngest daughter, also Hannah, who you know has helped so much and would get shoe boxes and mm-hmm. would go with me and, and and buy socks and underwear for these children. We would have 10, 12, 15 in, in our home at a time, but. You know, but to have a family that loved also and had compassion and they never felt inconvenience. In fact, I was thanking the Lord for them today. I said I could only do what I do because um, and help save lives because of the children the Lord gave me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously right now um, we're having conversations at this moment in history like, you know, really never before about these kinds of topics about, you know, policymakers are are making decisions about abortion laws. And, you know, we've seen recently in the news the story of of a 10-year-old girl from Ohio who was raped and then um, got an abortion. And, you know, there's really challenging, hard conversations taking place. What is sort of your, your insight, your advice, your wisdom for how with, you know, with a heart full of compassion, we can talk about some of these really, really challenging things and come up um, also with, with policy solutions <clears throat> that protect life. Well, a doctor told me when I was 14, this could ri- risk your life. You're too young to have this baby. And I said, well, I choose for you to save the baby's life. Mm. I was 14 years old. And I said, if it ever comes to the point where it's me or the baby, the baby has to live. And... Wow. Um, where I know did that conviction come from at the age of 14? From my grandma. Mm. I had a grandma yeah. that was Jewish that taught me the importance of living. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time with her in Montana. And um, I think my parents, you know, I'm one of yeah. 18. But I think they taught me to love. And, you know, as a, as a Jewish woman, I just knew that we just, you know, we just had to live mm. and have babies. Mm. We had to multiply. Okay. When you lose over six million people in the Holocaust, yeah, yeah, and you're just taught the importance of life and do everything. And I um, thank the Lord that I, I chose that. But with these laws um, that are that are passing, and I, Isaiah ten one says, uh, "Woe unto them the decree unrighteous decrees and that right grievousness which have they have prescribed in the writing." We have lawmakers and policymakers are writing laws, you know, about the life of a child and, you know, decreeing death instead of life. You know, Jesus came to give life and to give life more abundantly. And he's a giver of life, you know, and, and who are these lawmakers? Who do they think they are saying they can take life? And then when they plant parent has been selling baby body parts, I pray for David a lot. I think he's that journalist that um, they want to call him a felon and give him all types of felonies because he exposed Planned Parenthood when they were plotting and selling baby body parts. And I say, no, my God, have mercy on us. Forgive us. Mm -hmm. And now with them wanting to uh, codify uh, 
abortion to where the baby at the up to the time of birth, a full-born baby, mm-hmm. can be murdered, you know, and, and torn apart. And I'm just saying, Lord, that I mean, that's torture. I mean, it just it it just breaks my heart that yeah. people can be uh, so evil is a word and corrupt minds to allow that to happen to a baby. And I'm saying we need to have more people rise up and speak up and pray more. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've been praying nonstop for life since, I, you know, even when I wasn't a Christian, you know, I, I would still say, you know, God help us. Yeah. That someone would want to kill a baby inside of a womb. And... Yeah. Now, I, I've watched uh, videos of, of you going out and you speaking um, with with those on the pro, pro-choice, pro-abortion side who, you know, kind of say, well, you know, you made your choice and that's fine and it's fine that you made your choice, but, you know, we should be able to make our choice. Right. Um, how how do you kind of respond to that, especially when you're talking about an issue as sensitive as rape? Well, that, I think to me, I would spoke of what a blessing it was in my life and you have a choice, but the baby's a human and the baby has a choice and the baby wants to live. I mean, I say that so many times. Yeah. The baby wants to live. Yeah. Yeah. The baby does not want to die. The babies are inside of the womb when they're, they're, those tools are going after them to rip them out of the womb and they're moving. They're moving away from the t- a baby, you know, just weeks old is going away from these instruments. They're going in there to tear their bodies apart. And I'm just saying this baby is running away from those instruments that are trying to kill them, tear them to pieces. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If they could only see those ultrasounds and just see this is a, a baby that's alive. Mm-hmm. This baby wants to live. Yeah, yeah. And I know, I mean, for, for you, obviously, your world changed. Um, and you mentioned, you know, you had to leave your high school. And, you know, I think so many um, so many women, you know, say, well, you know, I'm I'm not going to be able to um, to pursue you know the dreams in my heart. I'm going to have to lay all that down, you know, if I continue with this pregnancy, whatever the situation might be. And I mean, that's that's legitimately hard, right? It's it hard is. to lay those dreams down, um, or maybe push pause on them. You know, what what do those conversations and those dialogues look like? You know, even as you have journeyed with women yes. who I'm sure have had yeah. to do that to push push pause on those dreams. And, you know, I've also talked to a lot of young girls that have had abortions Mm. that have talked about the trauma they've gone through after and the Mm. torment. It's never right. Mm. And I tell them it's best. And I've had some that have gone through abortion talk to those that are pregnant saying, trust God. God will take care of you. He'll take care of your child. Mm. Mm. But killing a baby, and I always use that as murder, that is never right. Yeah, yeah. And you, you obviously love the Lord. You're a Christian. Um, Reverend Eve, the Lord has kind of given you a, a picture of what you feel like one of your roles will be in heaven. Share yes. a little bit about that. Yes. Well, I want to share this scripture, and I'm going to do Please. that. And Jeremiah 1, 4 and 5 says, and the Lord said to Jeremiah, I chose you before I gave you life. I chose you, Jeremiah, before I gave you birth. Before you were born, I chose you. And I selected you to be a prophet to the nation. So... The Lord has chosen these children, every mm. single one, before they were born. Mm. 
So there, there's a destiny for every child. And Jeremiah is calling a prophet to the nations. And I'm thinking of the 63 million plus babies that have been murdered that we know of, right? Mm -hmm. And they had a destiny. Yeah. The Lord knew them. So I had a dream of the Lord where the Lord showed me my mansion in heaven. Mm. And as I walked into this, this place, my favorite room in my mansion, and I'll say real quickly, one of my... Uh, I am a chef, so when I first walked in, into um, my mansion, there was a double, uh, a gourmet kitchen, but it was a, a kosher kitchen, then a regular kitchen. <laughs> then Jesus took me to a little room that was my um, my prayer chamber because I love to pray. It was a small room with two little candles like my Jewish grandma used to have uh, for Shabbat and a little red velvet pillow. He sh showed me the bridal chamber where we're going to minister unto Jesus and worship him mm. forever. But my favorite room in my mansion is there was a big room. The clouds, um, there was no ceiling, and it was all like glass. Mm. And um, when I went in there, babies were being brought to me, mm. and I was walking with Jesus. Many, many babies were being brought to me. And in heaven, I get to take care of some of these aborted babies. Wow. Jesus says, I said, what is their names? Because there were so many. Mm. And I was just excited, you know, like a, a little girl in a, at a little dress shop or candy store. It was like my favorite room. I saw all these beautiful rooms in my mansion. But my favorite room was when babies were being brought and I got to... So many babies that I was thinking, I don't have enough arms to hold all these babies. Mm. But Jesus says, you get to love them. Mm. And I thought of how many times I would go out and pray outside of abortion clinics and trying to talk mothers out of not aborting their babies. And how many nights my children came in and we wept for babies to live. And I'm saying, I bet some of those babies are going to be some of the ones they get to care for in heaven. Mm -hmm. And Jesus called them blessed. Wow. I said, what are their names? He says, they're blessed. And you get to love them. Mm -hmm. He didn't use the word care. He says, you get to love them. Mm -hmm. So I was just embracing these babies. So I know that I'm going to have a room in my mansion. The biggest room in my mansion is to care for some of these babies. And mm -hmm. it's, it's been a battle. And I, you know, abortions are still happening. Mm -hmm. Babies are still being murdered. And I'm just praying that the overturn of Roe v. Wade is just the beginning yeah. of abortion stopping in America. Yeah. But that more people, as myself, um, will be that voice one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. wherever you're at. When you see somebody pregnant or somebody walk, going to an abortion clinic like I did is, you know, take action. Do yeah. whatever it takes to save a life. Yeah. Tell us how we can follow your work. You are so active and such an advocate for life. How can we keep up with what you're doing? Well, I do have a website called Help for Kids. It's H-E-L-P with the number four, K-I-D-Z dot org. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, we'll check that out and make sure to link that in the show notes. Um, but Reverend Eve, thank you. We really appreciate um, you just being willing to share your story and to be yeah. such a voice and an advocate for the unborn. Well, I love the Heritage Foundation, the work here. I've been a supporter, and I just thank God for all the advocacy work this organization has done. And so thank you for giving me a voice today, and I just pray that there's someone out there that will hear this message and fight for babies, fight for life, inside of the womb and outside of the womb. Amen. Thank you, Virginia. Thank you. God bless you. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Daily Signal Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to The Daily Signal Podcast on your podcast listening app of choice. That's Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. 
please leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage your friends and family to subscribe. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you all right back here tomorrow morning. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen, Doug Blair, and Samantha Rank. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.